everybody. Welcome back. I'm Karami. And I'm Cassandra. And this is Too Good, Too Good to, be to Be True. And this week, we are going to be diving into Dorothea Puente and her horrible things. I, like, I don't even know what, what else to call say? that. So, we're just going to get straight into it. And Dorothea Helen Gray was born on January 9th, 1929 in Redlands, California. I think it's Redlands. I mean, Redlands. Oh, it sounds like Redlands, to California. To Trudy May and Jesse James Gray. Her parents were both alcoholics. Yeah. And her father would often threaten suicide in front of the children, which isn't really conducive to a healthy upbringing. No. I saw... One of the detectives say that he actually tried to hang himself once in front of the family. In front of the And family. it wasn't just threats. But that was the only person that I saw say that. So I'm hesitant to repeat it as fast. Yeah, it's, it's weird because as I was doing my investigation, I was like, sometimes you find facts that are... Contradictory. Contradictory. Yes. Or like close, but like variations, you know? Right. Like I, I found one source that said that the house was located at 2100 F Street. And I think they just had their wires crossed because right, it was I, at I the intersection too. of 21 E and F Street. F Street. So yeah. I think that's what threw them off. So I, I don't know that he actually ever attempted suicide in front of them, but well at least say that he made threats yeah like that and and he was a sick man i also saw um some things that said that the children were physically abused but i, I mean i wouldn't really find it that i wouldn't hard find to it hard to believe i don't know that you could say that the father was involved in any of that because of how ill he was true I would believe that the mother, the mother did, did, based on facts that we're going to go over. If anybody can hear the squeaking, it's my bed. We we literally record sorry, in friends. my bedroom on my bed. So, sorry, but occasionally there might be a little noise. We're trying to get better and do better. So, hopefully one day we'll have, like, soundproofing and better One day equipment. we won't be sitting on a bed. Right. Maybe. Maybe. So anyway, like I said, the father, he was sick anyway. He ended up dying of tuberculosis in 1937. And then this is the part where I say it's possible that this stuff did go down because her mother ended up losing custody of the children in 1938. And yeah. It's, I mean, to to lose custody yeah, of after children. The, like a year literally after the father passed away. And, and here's what I her- also saw reinforced that she was a sex worker to support the family and she may have been and she may have been but the thing is so i'm gonna do a little bit of personal backstory just just a smidge of it it's not gonna okay. take too much time yeah, no problem but my mom's mom had six children with my mom's dad and then when my mom's dad died and this was in the the 60s that this right. happened so even even later, but this was still going on. But when that happened, the amount of people that actually pressured my grandmother to give up all of these children. Seriously? She, yeah. More people than not told her, dump these kids at an orphanage and start over. 
So I think that made it ridiculous. I mean, she didn't. She didn't. But honestly, she should have because she wasn't a very nice lady. But that I think was the mentality back then that single mothers were not really uh, a society like like they weren't accepted. Yeah, they wasn't accepted. They looked down on them. They weren't capable. Right. Right. So I I mean. That's why I say I don't want to speculate too much on whether or not there was abuse because there very well could have been. But this could have also been a case of the court just saw a mom with some kids and were it's like, true. hey, you could be. she, she can't afford I mean, it. And so they took them. Yeah, it's true. They could have. That's very well possible because they just didn't think that it was something that a woman could do on her own. Right, right. Right. I very distinctly remember my mom telling me all about that and how much pressure my grandmother had on her to just give up well six kids so i don't know if they were taken because of abuse or if they were taken just because she was deemed unfit i don't know right but anyway she ended up dying the mother dorothea's mother um trudy may she ended up dying in 1938 same year that she lost the kids she died in a motorcycle accident which was wild to me also because i was like motorcycles were a thing in 1938 Obviously, Again? my car knowledge is lacking I get massively. Yeah. So after both parents had passed away, Dorothea and her siblings were then sent to an orphanage where, because everything is terrible, Dorothea was sexually, sexually abused. Yeah. I don't know in what ways. I didn't care to find out that she was sexually abused. And little Dorothea went on to marry for the first time at age 16 in 1945, which, a little reminder, also normal for the time. At the time, yeah, yeah, yeah. I also had seen some information that said that she was known to be a compulsive liar even as a child, like at a young age, claiming she claimed to be the youngest of 18 children when really there was only six of them. Only. Which is still a lot. That's a lot. But she liked to embellish, I guess. And we yeah. also saw something that said she often pretended to be the sister of the ambassador to Sweden. I don't know. <laughs> Girlfriend, what? I don't know. And told many people that she and Rita Hayworth were close friends. I mean, if you're going to lie, just I think it all out. Go all in, I guess. So when she was 16, she married a soldier named Fred McFall, who had just returned from the Pacific Theater of World War II. Yes. And I did some digging on that because I don't know the truth. I was curious. I was I curious was like, too. What, what does that even theater? mean? I so don't know. the Pacific Theater, it was like basically the Navy, that's, that part of the military, and where they were stationed in the Pacific Ocean. So they had a lot to do with like Pearl Harbor. Oh, okay. So it was like, like part of the Navy. Yeah. So that's what the Pacific Theater that was. Sense, and that's I what guess. he was doing. So she had two daughters with McFall. And I've heard him call McCall as well. Is yeah. it McCall or McCall? No, because I have McFall. Okay. I think but I feel like I did see somebody very verbally said McCall in yeah. in an in, in, um, documentary. And that's right. what I think. I was a little confused. But if you have McFall and I have McFall, it's McFall. So anyway, um, she and him, they had two daughters between 1946 and 1948. And 
she wasn't exactly the maternal type, no. but she didn't really have any... I mean, and it makes sense because if her own mother wasn't very maternal... Right, I was going to say she didn't... Where was she going to learn it from? Yeah, so really, she ended up sending one of her daughters to live with some relatives in Sacramento, and she put the other one up for adoption. adoption. She did get pregnant a third time, but she suffered a miscarriage that yes, time, so... She didn't actually end up with that third child. And then McFall ended up leaving her in 1948. So she, at that point, was completely alone because she had uh, given up custody of her children and then the husband left. Right. So in the spring of 1948, Dorothea was arrested for buying accessories using forged Forged checks checks in Riverside, California. And because of that, she served four months in jail and three years of probation after pleading guilty on two counts of forgery. Your girl bounced back. Well, here's the thing. Like, she <laughs> was released, and then she immediately broke her probation and skipped town. So, like, and I feel like she has a habit of doing stuff like she had to die. But like I said, she bounced right on that. And in 1952, she gets married again. And this time it was... likes to get married. Yeah, she's a... She's a... What do they call it? A serial monogamous. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, in 1952, she marries a merchant seaman named Axel Bren Johansson in San Francisco. Yeah. The fancy name. It is. And at this point... She goes off the rails. Yeah. She creates a fake, fake persona, persona. Which she honestly, from what I understand, did that several times. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She just was out. She was just wilding out doing whatever she wanted to do. But her fake persona, she called her Tara Singwala Nayarda. And she was supposedly of Egyptian and Israeli heritage and yeah. was a Muslim. A Muslim. Yeah. Which... I mean, I've seen fair-skinned Egyptian and Israeli people. It's possible, but why didn't why did she stick with the Sweden story? Yeah, girl, you're white. Like, were at least believable, I guess. Yeah, yeah. whatever. So she she was she, having fun. Yeah, with, she switching was it up, just living her best life here, and. She really was living her best life. Because <laughs> Axel be was frequently away, and she would she invite would men over for a little fun have time. Have a little fun while Axel was away. And she liked to gamble while Axel was gone. And drain. Dorothy? I yes. also heard claims that she was also soliciting herself, just like we, we had heard the mother yes, had done. Actually, that's my next point. <laughs> In 1960, because I heard that he was not happy about. Yeah, he came home and he was not happy about that. <laughs> he wasn't happy about quite a lot of things, things. And, yeah. and we'll get into that in just a second. It's literally my next stuff. So, in 1960, Dorothea gets arrested again because she's a dumbass. True. <laughs> this time, she's arrested for owning a brothel under the guise of a bookkeeping firm in Sacramento. I know, and this is where I've. This is another conflicting thing. I've heard she was just running the brothel, running and a, there's another report where she was running she, and participating herself. Herself, yeah. I have heard she owned and operated it, but I also heard that she was doing those things herself yeah. as well. At, at the very least, she was for sure arrested for being a madam of a brothel. Yes. And because of this, she... But I also read somewhere that she claimed she did not... This is when she got arrested, is what she said. 
She claimed she did not know the establishment was a whorehouse and had only been visiting as a friend. But clearly, I don't, I don't, I, what? No. <laughs> I don't even have anything. I have nothing. I'm I don't know. She'll say whatever she can. So, you know, honestly. Uh, she gets sentenced to 90 days in Sacramento County Jail over this one. Which, I mean, 90 days. To be honest. The, that, the sad truth of it is, she's good at talking, she's good at lying, and she does actually get out of a lot of things. But the thing is, let's be real, she had some pretty privilege. She was a good-looking lady. Even, right. even as that's, an older I lady, that's true. she was a good-looking lady. And so when you're a good-looking person and you're charming and you're good at lying because you've been lying your whole damn whole life, life. Yeah. you know, it's, it's, I can see people more easily falling for it. And in 1961, Axel's just had enough of her He's shit. <laughs> and he has her committed to DeWitt State Hospital after she went on a binge of drinking, committing crimes, and attempting suicide. Suicide, yeah. So while she's away, doctors finally diagnose her as a pathological liar with an unstable personality. And just in case anyone is unfamiliar, I'm going to throw in a little information on pathological lying. It's a chronic compulsive behavior in which the person lies for no actual purpose other than to present themselves as a hero or victim, depending on a the circumstance. They just kind and of which want will make them look better. Yeah. Yeah. Usually you can't even figure out what the motive is behind them doing it. Yeah. They're just doing it. And it's like I fun. said, it's they're usually either the hero or the victim. Whichever one's gonna get Whichever them. Whichever one gets them the attention the that attention they want. They if they're want. seeking sympathy, they're the victim. If yeah. they just want attention for being the hero, they're the hero. I used to work with a girl who was straight up a pathological liar, and it was a roller coaster every day going into work and hearing imagine. the stories. This girl would tell me, like, her boyfriend proposed to her, and now she's engaged. And I'd be like, well, where's the ring then? She's probably not going to get it yet, and blah, blah, blah. And then, like, the next day, I come in, and she is like, I think I'm going to propose to my girlfriend. And I was like, bitch, what? You just said you had... Are you with a guy or a girl? Friend, or, like, oh, I'm, like, how many people can you be engaged to at one time? I'm so confused. A lot going on there. A lot of times they just make shit up and they can't even keep it straight. So True. she ends up getting divorced again. Shocker. Axel leaves and her second divorce takes place in 1966. But she continues to use the name... Sharon Johansson. Yeah. And we don't know where Sharon came from. She just was feeling Sharon, I guess. I guess. Well, I don't know. But I, it, according to what I heard, it was she was using an assumed name so that she could hide her delinquent behavior by portraying herself as a kind. Oh, Christ, yeah, for sure. Christian woman. Oh, yeah. I know, definitely that was the motive by it. I just don't understand where Sharon came from. But anyway. So, like you said, she did portray herself as a kind Christian woman who provided a free sanctuary for young women fleeing poverty and, and abuse. You see? So, in 1968, homegirl gets married for the third time. I don't know how these people find so many people to marry. I can't I find know, one man. I like enough to date. So, she marries Roberto Jose Puente this time. So she finally becomes Dorothea Fuente. And 
they're only married for 16 months before separating because Dorothea claims that she was abused. Right. And again, we don't know. We don't have any information on that. So she could have been. She could have been. And you don't know. She tried to serve him with divorce papers, but he fled to Mexico. So their divorce is finally finalized in 1973. But they continue to have kind of a wild relationship and apparently can't leave each other alone because she files for a restraining order in 1975. And yet she still continues to just use the last name Puente, though. And this is when she opens her boarding house. Because at the time, all that was needed to open a boarding house was a business license. And business licenses didn't require background checks or fingerprinting. And there were really no regulations kind in of place. Crazy. Yeah, I mean, but again, that's the thing. A lot of people do tend to hear these kinds of details and they immediately get like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it was like that. But folks, this is how we set up a precedent. When it's things like this happening that people go, oh, shit, we never want that to happen again. And that's when they start enacting new laws. So this is in the 70s, the 80s. People were a lot more trusting back then. Stuff like For this sure, wasn't really were. happening. So this is kind of a thing that happened that pushed everybody to make some changes. So, But at the time, there weren't any regulations in place for boarding houses. And she would hold uh, Alcoholics Anonymous meetings at the house, and she assisted individuals with setting up their social, social security, security benefits, benefits, which, I mean, that's going to really come into play here <laughs> a little bit. And she changed her look to appear more matronly, more Christian-like, more She actually, like, made herself appear to be older than she was and told people she was older than mm-hmm. she was. And she, like by 10 years, I think. And she wore vintage clothing and yeah. her big old glasses. If you look her up, you'll see her old lady glasses. And she let her hair go gray rather than keeping up with dye jobs so that she could look a little older and more matronly. She also funded charities, scholarships, and radio programs for the local Hispanic community. And she kind of like became like a celebrity in their local she was very popular yeah they loved her loved her and so of course she she gets herself into a little fourth marriage we're at number four now and this time she's married to pedro angel montalvo and he left her after only a week he saw what she had to offer and he said no Okay, and so this is a part where I get confused a little bit because I had read that her and third husband, Puente, whose, you know, name she was using, started the, the um, you know, boarding house for alcoholics together in some reports i had seen that they did it together oh i never saw that at all in anything yeah and it was known as the samaritans wow and it took in drifters and alcoholics who paid for their keep using their social security checks interesting and i do remember hearing about the samaritans because i did watch that thing on netflix like 
I don't know. It was quite some time ago. Me and my husband watched it together. And I do remember them saying that she did own that business. And then I read that the business was not doing well and she got herself into debt. And so she claimed that the business had amassed a debt of $10,000. And so she declared bankruptcy for that business, <laughs> the Samaritans. But then promptly set up the new one at the 21 and F Street or whatever. But it's confusing because I also saw that the other one was at that same location. So I'm like, did she use that location twice? I get a little confused. I get a little I mean, confused. The location she was living at, the address was 1426 F Street. And it is at the intersection of F and 21st. And as far as so I I'm know, like, was it the same house or just close by? As far as I know, that's where she's been living this whole entire time. time. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know where Puente goes after they divorced, but he left her. And... I heard she fled to Mexico is what I read. Anyway, she. She did get arrested again in 1978, and she's convicted of illegally cashing 34 state and federal checks that belong to her tenants. So maybe that all started after the whole bank. I think thing. it was I think it was associated to the business she was running previously because that's that's how I read it anyway, was that all of that was in connection to the previous business. Right. And we haven't gotten to her having her first um person that moved in with her. So I'm thinking that that's the timeline that we're at and where she was living at this 1426 F Street and doing this thing with her husband that went south and then she starts stealing and that also goes south There's because she gets so five years of probation and was ordered to pay $4,000 in restitution after this first thing and it well not first but after this thing in 1978. Yeah. The big one. I mean, it's not the first one, but it's by far the biggest thing The biggest thing she's, thing been... she's done so far to this point. And now we'll be moving into... I read that after that, she was forced to undergo psychiatric evaluation again, and they diagnosed her with schizophrenia. But that a lot of times schizophrenia was like a blanket term back then. Yeah. And they kind of just said that about anybody that was, like, acting a certain way or within a certain range of, like, mental instability. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's kind of where that was because I didn't see anything where she had been formally diagnosed as schizophrenic. She had been formally diagnosed as um, a pathological liar. liar. I saw both. Yeah, the pathological so, liar. The, the, um, there's a lot of things that are just very, like... Um, a lot of things just got a lot of around. things got thrown around exactly that's why i'm like when i was investigating this there's a lot of things it's like you don't know what is actual factual information or what people were maybe embellishing or misdiagnosing mis interpreting or maybe even getting the wrong information i mean i i would be i i would be well for impressed to believe that she was actually schizophrenic Oh, I don't believe she was, but, but she definitely a pathological liar. She did. I I mean, and this is where you kind of get into your whole nature versus nurture debate where you have to wonder, is this just the type of person that she was and nothing was going to change that? Change her? She oh. was just destined to be this kind of person? Or 
was part of her upbringing part of it contributing to it was that the fact that she was abused she was sexually abused her parents died i mean all of these are very traumatic events right i i just want to make it clear that any kind of trauma that somebody goes under any kind of mental illness that somebody has yeah, it, it might explain their actions, but it doesn't excuse them. It doesn't excuse them. So sure. for someone to say, you know, she was the way she was because of her parents or because of her sexual abuse, I'm sure it had its part in shaping her. But there are a lot of people that go through those things and worse, and they don't turn don't into turn serial, into killers. serial killers. So I think they're... You know, there's a mix. I don't think you can say it's entirely nature. I don't think you can say it's entirely nurture. And beyond that, you have the third aspect of, you know, your own will and your own own thoughts and your own uh, ethics and morality. Because at the end of the day, you do know that this is wrong. She knows that she's not supposed to be murdering people. Mm. And people that are pedophiles, they know that there's something deeply wrong, wrong with, with being them. attracted to children. Yeah. And it's a matter of whether or not you go and seek help for these things or whether or not you use them as an excuse, excuse. to, to get away with certain behavior. atrocities. Yeah. And for sure, I definitely agree with so what you're saying. We empathize with young Dorothea, with having a sick father, with losing her parents, with being sexually abused and all the stuff that she went through and being in an orphanage. But I can't say that she's insane because to me, insanity is where you have that break where you don't know what you're doing. What you're doing. You can't distinguish between right and wrong. Or reality. Or not reality. Maybe you don't even know you're doing these things or maybe you're doing them and you don't understand that they're wrong because you have a mental illness. That's where insanity comes into play. That's where I say, okay, you should probably have an insanity plea and go and get mental health Help. instead of going, going to, to prison and yeah. trying to be rehabilitated there. In Dorothea's case, I I would say that this could have been avoided. She could have gone and gotten some help. I don't think this is a case of insanity or schizophrenia. I think this is the case of Dorothea did, unfortunately, get very messed up because of her upbringing, and she chose to go down this route. This path. Yeah. She chose her path, and she went all in. For sure. And we're about to get into the murders and the boarding house in general. Before we get into the murders, I have some other information that I had dug up. Okay. Where I had seen that she, after all of that stuff happened, and her um, conviction from the illegally cashing the, you know, the checks. checks from the tenants, she started working as an in-home caregiver? Yes, she did. And that a lot of times, her patients often ended up in the hospital. Because she was claiming... To have actual, like... Medical knowledge. Medical knowledge. She presented herself as an in-home caregiver at times, a nurse at other times, and full-on doctor at other times. At other times. Um, Most of the people in the... She was, like, lying to people about that. And most of the people in the Hispanic community believed she was a doctor, but 
they didn't know what type of doctor and none of them wanted to dig into her background. I guess they just trusted her. So she was known as the doctor. And she literally called her that. Yes, they did. And she actually had props and everything. She had like, she had a little medical bag and she had a stethoscope and stuff in there. And she she definitely was portraying herself as a medical professional. Well, and then it got even to the point where she would give them certain meds that would paralyze them and then leave them unconscious. And she would just rob them. Okay. Like whatever they had, I guess, whatever money, this, that, whatever they had laying around that was of value, I guess. I don't right. know. Right. And we're definitely going to get into that. And then said that she had been arrested and released on bail four times. Four times? She was committed. <laughs> I. It's like every time I read, I would read more information about this woman. And even when I watched the, uh, you know, thing I saw on Netflix about her calling the worst roommate ever or whatever. It's like, you just can't believe that she keeps getting away with these things. But it's like. The way that she portrayed herself, people thought this woman could do no wrong. Well, not only that, there was also the the personas, the other identities that she was going by. And, I mean, you know, and you think about too. it, back then, there was no internet database. They weren't connecting Dorothea Puente with Dorothea Montalvo versus Sharon Johansson. It's like they can't keep up with yeah. all the changes in names right they're booking her a lot of these times as and not like a different together. individual yeah they're not putting together that it's the same which i'm sure individual. some of this contributed to changes in those kinds of things too because now <laughs> when somebody gets arrested we know all the names they go by because the police want everybody to know that they go by this name and this right. name and this name and hey this is all the same person and I'm not going to say for sure that this contributed to that or made the changes because I don't know. But I'd imagine cases like this. It's just mind-blowing to me the there. amount of times this woman was arrested and then just like, slap on the wrist. Here you go. They even told her at one point, well, I'm sure we'll get into it, but they were like, no, 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 no more boarding house, boarding house, no more elderly people. And Dorothea doesn't listen. And somehow still got away with it. So listen, guys, we are actually going to split this into a two-parter because there just there is There's a, a lot, lot of information. And we didn't want to end up making uh, an hour and a half to two hour long episode to make you sit through all of this info dumping in one setting. We understand that a lot of you like a shorter chunk of time. So we're splitting this into two parts, and we're going to end this here at So this we'll end part. here, and then we'll get into the actual murders. The actual murders, the first victim, all of that. As, as her crazy story gets even crazier. It, it gets even crazier. It's completely even bonkers. We're going to touch on all of that next week, and we'll just leave you with this for now. If it seems, seems too, too good, good to, to be, be true, true, it, it is. is. And also, guys, if, and if you meet Dorothea, run the other way. But you can't. I mean, really, because she's dead. So really, if she's meet, maybe that you laugh. Hey, they do put her house. Listen, if you meet her now, snap a picture. Snap yeah, a picture. And anyone need and Dorothea? Then flee the scene. Okay. <laughs> but also, I just wanted to say, 
Um, of course, thank everybody for listening. And if you want to follow along with us on social media, we're on Facebook as Too Good to Be True Podcast. We're on Instagram as Too Good to Be True Pod. We would really like it if somebody would finally email us with a cool story or yeah, question or a suggestion. We have been looking forward to yeah, and we haven't really hearing from I mean, I, people. We've heard, you know? I've heard from people, but I've heard in like more personal DMs. Personal ways, yeah. Than, you know, somebody just reaching out to us. So if you guys have a suggestion for, and not even a case, if you just have a topic you want us to cover, or if you do have a case, if you have questions about anything, if you have a story that you want to tell us, whether it be a story of you getting scammed, scam baiting, stopping a scammer, somebody in your family, a, a wild story, story you yeah. know, or if you, you know, you, you maybe you met Dorothy Puente in 1972 in California and you want to tell and us you want to tell it. us about it. That would be an exciting story. You know, whatever you want to email us, we're at too good to be true pod at outlook.com. And if you don't feel like doing that, but you still want to give us some kind of feedback, you can always rate and review. But also in our show notes is a little survey. Is a little survey. It's only four questions. They're real simple Very questions. Very short, simple questions. If you want to tell us about your experience listening to our podcast, what you like, what you don't like, what you want to hear more of, just fill out that survey. I'll get the responses and we'll go from there. So... Thanks, everybody, and we will catch back up with you next week. And as I got to work, I was like, you know, you got out of bed and literally came to work in the pants that you were wearing to bed. Probably not doing as well as you think you are. <laughs>